0: She was. i don't want to talk about her someone always asks about her so i tell them all my girlfriend's day.
2: we have visual can you hear me and we have audio okay yes happy new year to you mate happy
3: new year man good to see you
0: good to see you uh,
3: i got my dog over here so he he's um he just kind of sits He's pretty good at sitting right there, but if he bothers
0: me, he's if out. you hear something? You sit. <laughs> Be good boy. Where are you now, Joe? Is this a purpose-built little radio room for your live from Hollywood yeah. podcasts and other things?
3: This is um my uh like office and then I record stuff here and it's a little a picture of a house with uh it's on the beach and it has a little Call it the uh, crow's nest or a widow's walk or whatever they call it.
0: Yeah, yeah, on like the, like a chimney top. with windows.
2: <laughs>
3: yeah, chimney with windows, and then it's a, there's a staircase down there that that goes into the bedroom.
0: Amazing. Hey, have you ever seen the Australian TV show Round the Twist? Have you heard no. of that? So no. So it's it's a very surreal, very wacky, cult '90s family kind of sitcom soap series. And they filmed it in Melbourne. I'm in Australia at the moment. And, and the family and the show live in a lighthouse. And, and you, yeah. can, you can go visit the lighthouse. It's still there. They do tours of it. And uh, it's just a beautiful space. And, and that kind of just made me think of that. There's something I love about unusual house structures. You know.
3: Yeah, this is the only house like it in town. Everybody, uh, None of the houses here were ever very big or cool. Because it's it's called Seal Beach, and it was like, it literally was. I thought this is like myth and folklore, but it literally was prostitutes and gambling, <laughs> and so no one bothered to build anything nice. They were just like putting up whatever, keep their mistresses here, um, and then uh, in Long Beach they have pretty nice homes. Every um, most of the homes are pretty nice. The older ones here they don't have any old nice homes, but they this one. Somehow, bucked the trend in its old 1930s home, and and uh, it's it's unique. It's not a it's not big, but it's it's uh it's unique at least.
0: And what made you want to move to the home of prostitution and gambling?
3: Well, I grew up in the in the home of prostitution and gambling, so right. This is, <laughs> you this were is already me moving there. away from. Wait, I moved to Hollywood and I did that whole thing. uh My wife and I lived there for well, I lived there for twenty something years. And then we got married. and stayed up there. And then, and then, uh, like many people you move, you move, you move to orange County or you just move away from the, the big city. It's this cluster. It's just so congested there. Now you just cannot move around. So back here where the family is.
0: Well, please give Sandra my love. And I wanted to just say at the start, what a lovely afternoon I had with you two in Belize on the cruise. Um, I've done that cruise a few times, and this year's one was especially special and memorable and, and wonderful for me, uh, and that day was a, a real highlight, and you guys were so nice, and it was just a, a wonderful afternoon, so bless you. Well, we, have, we
3: have the same feeling. So I, when I, I, My wife wanted me to do a bunch of stuff just now, and I go, I've got to do this podcast. She goes, podcast? you got to help me with this and that, and I told her, I go, it's Matt Stocks. She goes, okay, fine. Go ahead.
0: Go ahead. <laughs> and it was her birthday just the other day, right? Did you have a nice time? Yeah,
3: Wednesday we went to this went back up to Hollywood and went to a nice Italian restaurant up there, and um, then tomorrow she's having her big party, so that's that's what I'm supposed to be helping with. But
2: love it. She,
0: there's nothing left to do. <laughs> well, it's been a very busy time of year for you guys since the cruise. Um, obviously, I saw you got up on stage with Steve Martin and Martin Short in Las Vegas, as you do. Um, very yeah. Very quickly, tell me about that, what happened there. I just saw a picture on your Instagram and was like, there's Joe,
2: living the dream. <laughs> yeah,
3: it was, um, we went out there to see that. We had bought those tickets, uh, you know, I-, I got those tickets for, my, for Christmas last year. Right. 2022 20, Christmas. And they they were very far ahead of time. And then they were canceled because one of them got COVID. And then um, they made it in december so we just had to drive out to vegas which is only about five hours you know uh you know including stops from where we live and and we went to um so we went out just to see that and we were in the um audience and then they asked for volunteers and my wife just grabs my hand and starts going this guy this guy yeah and so they picked me and um went up and uh did uh, it was like a three amigos they put mexican hats on us and right we did a three amigos uh, dance and it was pretty thrilling you know um kind of iconic but, um, really or not kind of very iconic yeah it just it was it was pretty thrilling and then when we were walking off the stage the piano player came up and said hey i'm a uh i'm a friend of josh freezes i'm a, um, a big fan of the vandals uh, when they, when they asked me what I did for a living, I didn't know what to say. Cause I do, I have like eight jobs.
2: Mm-hmm. So
3: I, I don't know what to say to Steve Martin when he asked me what I do for a living, I better have something good. And, um, I was like, I don't know, I'm a TV producer. I'm managing sublime, which is something, you know, that is just now public and stuff like that. Um, I, uh, in the vandals, I mean, and so, But right when he said, what do you do for a living? People in the audience shouted out, the Vandals.
0: Amazing. So So I was going to ask if there was crossover there. So there were a few Vandals fans in attendance. There were a few
3: Vandals fans in the audience. And then um, I said, so I just said, I play bass in a band called the Vandals. You know, that was my, that's my occupation. And then then later I emailed the um, keyboard player who said he was friends with Josh. And um, I told him this story. I'll tell you this story too. Please. Uh, when I was twelve years old, I begged my brother to um, take me to see Steve Martin at the Golden Bear, which was a, a concert venue in Huntington Beach, which is one beach south of Seal Beach, where I'm sitting right now. And then uh, they had concerts there. And Steve Martin was this. So this is 1975. Steve Martin was on the Johnny Carson show quite a bit, and I used to watch him. And I just go, "You got to, you got to take me to see this guy. Right. It's hilarious." So he took me and then we saw the show and it was so funny. Um, you know, our faces are just hurting. And then they said, you can stay for the second show if you want. So we stayed for the second show. and We moved up to the front. So now I'm at the front tables and I'm 12 and I'm just like staring at this guy and, um, probably making him uncomfortable. But, um, (laughs) Are you like the only kid in uh, the
2: audience pretty
0: much?
3: Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Not even close. There's no, there's no other kids. Um, And then, I mean, by this time, it's like, you know, the show starts at 11 p.m. You know, it's there's no nobody young, nobody old, nobody young. Um, So. uh, At the end of the show, he tells his big zinger of a joke. I forgot what it was, but it's, you know, the the closer. Everyone's going nuts. And then he starts dancing around doing these little dances, goes up the steps to the um, backstage area. And then uh, people are just going nuts. They want more. And then he turns around and he just goes, wait, s- stop. Everybody stop. Everybody stop. Shut up. He gets everybody to, s- to shut up. Si- complete silence. Starts creeping down the staircase. going, how old are you? And he points at me. And I go, I'm 12. And he goes, oh, my. I'm so sorry. I had no idea. We have a 12-year-old in this audience the whole time. That is terrible.
2: Um. Okay. I have a joke for you. 12 years old? Um. Okay, here it goes. There's these two lesbians, and they walk
3: into a bar, and then everybody just goes crazy again. Ah, and then he climbs up the stairs, and he leaves. So I've been, I've been, I've been carrying that with me for you know my whole life. Of like one of the big thrills of, uh, and always wanted to, uh, you know, talk to Steve Martin about it. But I never met him, but uh, you know I got to t- tell his keyboard player, tell him that guy that was on stage with them is the same guy from. Uh, 1975. If he remembers it or not, I don't know, but I, I got that off my chest.
0: Amazing. So it was a great that's, night for many reasons. It's a full circle moment right there, and I'm yeah. sure you must have had those in your career and life as well, where you meet someone and there's a dot that's joined from way back in the past to the present, um, and it
2: gives you new fodder for your show, doesn't it? Have you had any standout moments like that yourself? Um. none that i can recall you know it's just it's one of those things that
3: you meet people all the time and they go i saw you here and i saw you there and it's like they have a memory of that night that is that is pretty detailed because it was the only one and um chewy come on
2: ah let right here
3: for a while um so they have a yeah they have and, and it goes like some guys like are some of our substitute drummers are this way too they can they have all these memories of of some show you did in Japan or London or whatever. And they're telling you this stuff. So they go, and then you did this and then you did that. And you're like, how does this guy remember everything? It was because that guy only played, you know, three shows or a week's worth of shows. He remembers it. And we've played hundreds and hundreds. So we're just like, I don't know. They, they blend in and maybe there was something at some of them that, that make you remember them. But now I keep a diary so I can look them up.
0: Well, There's so much that I want to try and talk to you about today, Joe, because you are a a regular Renaissance man with your finger in many pies, as you alluded to with your Steve Martin anecdote there. Um, Mm -hmm. Going back to, you mentioned you threw Orange County in the mix a moment ago. Going back to the 80s there, that time, that place, that punk scene, Um, because the Vandals in the 80s was obviously, you know, different incarnation. had the country thing going on i love that record by the way
2: Um, (laughs) there's
0: that song susanville tell me am i wrong is that basically the beatles um falling and falling and she keeps calling me back again it's basically the melody to that isn't it um i've just seen her face or i've just seen her it's a song off help
3: yeah i would say uh you could be right but Um, It was written by someone who doesn't really like the Beatles and doesn't listen to the Beatles. Right. And uh, so it would have to be really subconscious because that person was me. Now, the reason why I don't like the Beatles is um, uh, too much overexposure to the Beatles in my life. Right. Too much. Too much. Everybody loves the Beatles. I mean, you you get into punk rock, you get into it because you're trying to be different. And you're so annoyed by the Beatles. And then MTV comes, and it's all they talk about. MTV was like, every news break was uh, further news on the Beatles reuniting. And everything was about the Beatles, possible Beatles reuniting. And I'm like, I don't care. I don't want to hear about it. And um, I don't like the people at my school that worship the Beatles. um, With their Beatles t-shirts and their Beatles books. So the Beatles were
0: still a cultural lingering specter even in the 80s
3: yeah it was well you know it was um there were the solo stuff was still going and i thought the solo stuff was good i mean george harrison ringo star and especially uh ram by paul mccartney That was one of my favorite albums of all time and i got into that stuff but i i I was so burned out on the on the beatles because it was just you know everyone just like now people are a little more sophisticated they don't pine over bands getting back together you couldn't tease anybody with a news story about the smiths getting back together or something like you could back then the beatles like what the the there's news about the beatles yes there's more news about the beatles getting back together evidently you know they got some new little clue that's coming and it really um Uh, it it graded me and uh but then when i started you know as a serious bassist you start learning Beatles songs and of course you you see the the genius in them uh, Mm. after you try to learn but before when it's background music and you're you're annoyed by people
0: at your school you know so were you were you a punker kind of right out the gate as soon as you found that music that scene that culture i heard about it yeah i heard about it and inspired and drawn in
3: I heard it about. I heard about it at summer camp, and um, some guy said, uh, "Hey, there's a band that plays at my school on Wednesdays, and they're called the Snot Puppies, and it's <laughs> punk rock. So they got this punk rock every Wednesday at lunch. The Snot Puppies play, and we throw food at them. They love it. They love. They love to just throw it. I go, what are you kidding me? Repeat that to me.' And it was Beverly Hills High School. He goes." Yeah, this is what we do, and they love it. I go, so that's what punk rock is. Punk rock, they play. You throw food at them, and they love it. And I go, yes. Or he says yes, and I go, okay. So I immediately run to the phone at the, at the camp. Um, There's one pay phone Call my brother, same brother who took me to see Steve Martin. And I go, tell me about this, this punk rock thing, because I had thought punk rock was there was it was written on the wall at my uh, junior high. Like so, I read it in 1977. I read it on the wall. It says, punk sucks. Then it says, KISS sucks. So I'm thinking, well, KISS must be punk, and KISS does suck. So I didn't pay attention to it. And then when I heard that at summer camp, I called the brother, and then he said, when you get home, you talk to Steve Olson, the pro skater that lives in our neighborhood. He's all into punk rock. He'll let you know what's going on. And by the way, Joe, you have a punk rock record. Um, that Ramones record that I gave you is a punk rock record. And I go, wait, the one with all the songs sound the same? He goes, yeah, that's punk rock. That's what's called punk rock. And I go, all right, I got a punk record. I love punk. <laughs> I just, yeah. uh, just decided. And I went home and I just got all into it. I
2: love it. Um,
3: and that very same summer camp is where I met Fat Mike and played him his first punk rock albums. That was wow. probably two years
2: later. Now, was Josh Brolin at that same summer camp? Because
0: Josh Brolin sure. was at
3: that summer camp.
0: Yeah. yeah. Did you know that? So that's in the no effects book is Mike's talking Oh about, is it is it Matt Mike's oh, talking about that Matt summer camp and he, I'm sure he, he probably does mention you now, come to think of it.
3: Yeah, he does. He gives me credit for uh, for turning him onto punk rock. He's very generous with that.
0: <laughs> and he says also, yeah, Josh Brolin was there and
3: and, yeah, and that Josh guy Nolan. Gore
0: Verbinski, was around at that time as well, right? He went on to direct all the pirates movies. Was he at the camp? Or is he just kind of in the punk scene making videos and stuff?
3: Tell you, Gore Verbinski was in the uh, Royal, uh, the Loyal Order of the Water Buffalo's, which was a like a, a fraternal organization, um, with guys in Hollywood, which was a bunch of you know basically a bunch of Hollywood degenerates, um, uh, like uh, the Texan the Horseheads, and a band called the Little Kings, and uh, the uh, Fishbone was in it, and the Vandals were in it. And it was debauchery, you know, my like kind of like Flintstone style. Like, we will smoke cigars, we will swallow goldfish, we will eat pig's ears, we will uh eat um, that's about all we ate, and then uh, we will <laughs> sing um, you know, Johnny Cash songs and uh, and and get wasted. And it was it was out of control. And Gore Verbinski was in that, so that's how I, I knew him from that. And he was by, you know, far and away, the biggest success to come out of the oil Order of the Water Buffaloes. But the bar was low. So, yeah.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Well, so that would have been your equivalent to the Hollywood Vampires kind of fraternity, right? 80s, punk, country, um, low life, as you say, hell raising.
3: Yeah, it was. It was definitely. It was hell raising. That's what it was. We were raising hell. And then we would do things like we're going to have a benefit uh i'm gonna raise some money for charity because after a while you realize even the hell's angels raise money for charity um uh let's have a beauty contest like it was that you know (laughs) a beauty contest we have to find hollywood ladies uh that that would be in the beauty contest it was it wasn't very pc tell you that
2: Mm. it was like during the
3: days of if you had money you'd be in the friars club And um, Friars Club was doing the same exact thing. So we were probably just doing whatever the Friars Club did. That was in Beverly Hills. And uh, we were, um, uh, you know, just Westwood is where we, our headquarters were. And uh, we were trying to be like them.
0: At what age did you begin to formulate a strategy for a career and become involved or at least aware of the business side of things more? And we'll get into many of the other things outside of music that you're involved in and have done over the years. But to kind of go back to that point, you're in this debauched clique of of wild young punks. Um, Assumedly, a lifelong career in punk is not on the cards at that point. So when do you start to see like, oh, if I'm smart about this, I can start sowing the seeds for a future here
3: well i was I, I what i did is i was watching um t s o l do whatever they were doing, and they were um in a neighborhood next to here which is long beach one beach north, and that beach that area it's not really a beach it's just like it's like um you know there's no waves uh people don't um just, just don't don't aspire to live on the coast there they just like live wherever so the um people would disagree with that but that's you know my view of it it's like um uh uh so in long beach it's a little grittier than than where i grew up and so that's where tsol was headquartered two guys from huntington beach two guys from long beach and um i got messed up with them uh pretty early on and i was like the drum brody we didn't know drum tech we didn't know that word back then but um basically drum tech and then todd barnes was always trying to get me in a band and he's the one that put me together with the vandals um so when they did it when they did an ep i thought that was glorious they had an ep on Poshboy records then they had their lp on um frontier records so when the vandals got going i thought we would just do exactly the same thing so i had this illusion that you just it's pretty easy and um and we did get an ep out we got an ep out on epitaph um which a first record besides a bad religion record, on Epitaph, and then and that was easy. And then it got on the radio and then it got played. And so then right away it just seemed like, oh, this is we're just you know, TSOL
2: is great, but they don't even have a radio hit.
3: We had a radio hit. And then we what put out another record. You
2: guys? Yeah.
3: yeah. And then we put out another record. And then we had another radio hit. So we had two radio hits in the row. And in those days, if you had a radio hit on K Rock, it would be like um uh That's all. It's that's all. It's not really going to go anywhere else. It's like maybe San Francisco would play it, San Diego would play it. The rest of the country would just lucky to get college airplay. So now, if you got if you got a, a hit on K Rock, it goes all over the world and it goes all over the um the, the country at least. And back then, um it didn't. So it was a little bit humbling, you know, because you would go on tour and then you know, some markets you'd be big, some markets you'd be nothing. And then you so it kind of go like this and I'm about um 18 or 19 at this time wow and then um and then you know after a while I think our third record came out and they did choose a single for it on the on the radio and it was from that country record but we had to put that country record out because um our guitar player he was just kind of you know evolving and he was over the whole punk rock thing and um he didn't want to uh he just didn't want to play the same old punk rock and he wanted to play some stuff that seem like sounded like gang of four. And I'm like, I don't think our singer can do that. You know, um, I don't think we can pull it off. I don't think we can pull that off. So we had a compromise. I go, what about these cowboy songs that we all love like this urban struggle? And we just kind of, we write more songs like that Would that. Are you amenable to that? And he goes, yeah, I'll do that. You know? So we, so that's why we made that a record that is, is so country, um, because it was kind of a compromise between musical styles. I love and, that
0: album. I think it's a great record. That was thank an interesting time, wasn't it? Because punk had kind of played out in some ways. It had gone yeah, and really then macho and kind of reductive and.
3: But I thought if if the radio would 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 catch on to one of those country songs, um, and they're not that country. There's like cow punk, you know. If they would catch on to one of those, I w- I thought that would take us somewhere, and because. Um, I also thought they were good and I got I go I think we can do this and I think we could be an alternative band with a career with with these songs and then when the record came out and um our manager called me um he was a kind of, he was a guy that later would go on to manage the uh, offspring and and um and mastermind that whole you know uh rocket to stardom uh he um he was a good guy and he 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 got the station to play one of the songs, but it was the song Shiite Punk. It was right. the only song in there. There was not a, a like a cow punk song. It was just like in those days we got we got to throw every song on, on there. We got to throw them all because we you know we just don't have that many songs and we just gotta. gotta Doesn't do that so, song
0: appear on another Vandal's album? Isn't it on another one? I'm sure it. Is.
3: Well, there is one song that's on there. There's a song called Lady Killer on there that that appears on another one. Um, Shiite Punk, I don't think does. Um, but nothing that I can remember. But there was Lady Killer. We had a, a more of a like a more credible uh, DJ scratch version of Lady Killer. The first one was fake because we didn't know how to do it. So we were mm-hmm. like scratching up like across the grooves. And then there were the second version of it, we got a real DJ. Um, so uh,
2: they play Shiite Punk. And I go, okay, it's a good song. But that means they rejected our whole path that we
3: were, um, that we thought we could do with this version of the band. And then, um, then the guitar player kind of drifted away because, you know, there wasn't, he didn't like it. And then, um, then we got Warren all of a sudden we got Warren and we've got Josh freeze. And then after I'd already given up, then when we got those guys, then you're like, and I, I went to law school and then there were major labels creeping around at that time going,
2: these guys, mainly Warren and Josh, me and Dave, were they're like, ah, these guys are, they're in the band. But look
3: <laughs> at Warren and Dave. I mean, look at Warren and Josh. Look at them. So then I think, well, you know, I don't know what goes on behind closed doors, but uh, people weren't having it. And so Warren and Josh, they put together a band. Um, with Warren and Josh and two other guys called extra large. And that band did get signed to a major label. And then we didn't care because Dave and I were like, you know, this is the Vandals where punk rock. You guys, everybody do whatever you want to do. And, um, and then they played in that, and that, that did okay for a while. And then, and then, and then after a while, it was just the Vandals were, you know, the chief band for all those guys. And then Josh started getting noticed by like uh suicidal and infectious grooves. And, and then it became like, well, we we'll, we'll, our drummer is always going to be in some other band it looks like. So, um, you know, I just keep along with my other day job and stuff. And then, uh, but it's then when green day and offspring blow up and like 90, uh, six, like it was 94. And then by the time it was 96, like our phone is ringing off the hook for tours and merchandise deals. And because of green day and the offspring, mainly the offspring, and, um, and Rancid and NoFX, you know, the whole punk rock's blowing up. And then we get the same agent that Offspring and NoFX have, Stormy Shepherd. And then it's just like, all right, let's, uh, let's make this a full-time thing for a while. So we did. We made it a full-time thing for at least 10 years. And we had a great time. And we
0: did a lot of Warped Tour shows. You rode and, that wave, uh, didn't you? You rode that wave. Yeah, we rode that
3: wave. We're in the tour buses. We're all, a Europe two, three times a year. We're in Australia all the time. Um, Japan. And we did it all. And then, um, then, uh, I think when it, when that period ended, it was because we played for the troops in, in, uh, in Iraq. And at that point, all the European concert promoters started boycotting us, uh, because they thought, I don't know, I guess they thought we were running around and, and, um, shooting children or something, um, eating babies. Um, so that we were boycotted in Europe and that was a big part of our, our, our business out there we couldn't go there anymore um so we uh uh we kind of just at that point we're like let's make this a real part-time thing because it's you know we just lost half our business
2: yeah. and i don't
3: feel like starting it over again you know so um and everybody was fine with that and then you know let josh go do whatever he's going to do warren was out touring with no doubt um as i uh, know uh, with uh gwen stefani he was a musical director for gwen stefani's tour and um, everybody's just doing their thing. And that's kind of the way it is now. Everyone just does their thing.
2: There's Even Chewy. There's again, um, so many little facets to that
0: timeline you've just laid out. First of all, without going too far back, you, Dave, Warren, Josh, such distinct, unique, really kind of you know, disparate individuals. Um, It comes together to create this incredible whole. Um, Dave, first of all, how do you and Dave connect? What's that guy's story? Where does he come from? Because he is one of the most just punk. He seems to just not care about anything. I don't know if I misread that when I see him on stage, but he is just like, whatever, dude. And I love that attitude about him. You could not get more punk than that
2: to me.
3: (laughs) And you can't even say, you kind of nailed it. And it's not like he's like, he doesn't care. Like, you're lucky I'm here. Honestly, he believes uh, you're suffering because I'm here. I mean, that's really <laughs> what he's, for some reason, you know, I ended up here and you have to listen to it. I'll make it as short as possible. I don't like it. You don't like it. Let's get this over with. Yeah. That's his attitude. Um, and also, <laughs> so punk rock, you know, our, our main problems with him is he's so punk rock. He doesn't want to do anything. He doesn't want to do anything that might make money. That something that might appear like you're trying. Like that's not punk. Like that's why we couldn't go. Another thing was we couldn't go like when bands were, you know, getting on the radio, like maybe Newfound Glory and um uh, you know, uh rancid and Pennywise and uh the offspring. For us to do a radio campaign, it just would never work because that guy won't go and play a radio show. Uh he's not gonna do it. He's just gonna say, Why 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 are we playing the radio show? we're gonna get more airplay. Screw them. I don't want I don't want more airplane, I don't wanna go there. So you you you, you can either this is my advice to people in bands. Just love the band you're in and don't pine about some band you wish you were in. And I love the band I'm in, and I can't complain that my singer of my punk band is too punk to do this or that. You just go, you know what? Lucky to have him. And uh, but he is quite grumpy um at times, but uh, you know, you get used to it. It's like you don't say like. Hey, Dave's been in his hotel room for two days on the cruise. And I haven't seen him. Let's go find him and tell him to come up and do a meet and greet. You know, you just don't do that.
0: <laughs> Is that what he was up to on the cruise then? He was literally just
2: hiding away.
3: <laughs> yeah, he doesn't come doesn't come out. Room service. Likes room service. And he likes hotel rooms. And he's like resting because he has two kids. and um,
2: He's just enjoying the quiet time.
3: Yeah. I mean, yeah. He's got two kids and, uh, and a wife and, you know. He wants to, um
0: and they weren't on the they weren't on the cruise. Assumedly, he was like, "I'm not bringing them. This is Dave time." Yeah,
3: he needed he needed some me time, so <laughs> he did that. And um, and uh, but I'll tell you one thing: that the all four band members, I think Josh and Warren really did gel in their band, extra large. Like you could see how that that was, and the other two guys were um, they seemed to be more of the same, like a more cohesive. Um, they looked like it looked like a band that was you know going places, but um, our band with Josh and Warren and uh, and Dave and me—that's one of the things we have in common. There's probably I don't know of any other band like this. There's not one tattoo in this band. Love that. Or a body. Tattoo. Love that. So how does that happen? And we've headlined uh, tattoo conventions. <laughs> Well, you're
0: all just, you know, you're in it for the music and the creativity. At least the three musicians, Dave. I mean, Dave's. What is Dave's incentive? Do you think? What's his drive? What What keeps him? I he just. He could just go. I'm out. I can't be asked at all. What do, What makes him want to show up and still be in the Vandals? Do you think? I think po- politeness,
3: generosity. Like he, he's. You know, it's painful for him, but he's, he's, he's a, a, deep down a generous person. So he wants. He knows that it would be very disappointing if we
2: at the peak cuz this is the this is believe it or not this is the peak of our career our offers that we get to play shows are um like i would say 10 times what they were in 1990 well in the 1990s 10 times well so, deserved well deserved it,
3: thank you um, it's like a it's like a pyramid scheme. At a certain point, you get to the top of the pyramid, and you're getting this big paycheck. And there's like a lot of bands at the bottom are really good, and they're not getting anything. You know, that used to be us. Now we're up here. Yeah. Um. So uh, he knows that that would be very uh uh that wouldn't be a very uh, bro thing to do to his friends, and we're all friends. You know. So he he so he's just kind of taking one for the team and going. But you can't push him too far, and uh, so we don't. And And then, uh, you know, I work and sometimes I get really busy with the TV business. I get really busy. I can't do any shows either. So uh, it it works. And um, so basically, yeah, he's just he's just being a friend to play, even though he's got so much anxiety about it's hard to be the front man. Have You ever been a front man?
0: Well, I'm kind of my own front man, you know, a DJ and host and everything I do is a solitary quest. So I do understand that notion of you're putting yourself out there, yeah. especially in this yeah. new world of social media, internet forum, critique, exposure, all of that. It's very easy yeah. nowadays for anyone who is on any form of public platform to just take flack for anything they say or do. Um, and it is exhausting and it can feel, yeah. if you're slightly shy or you know yeah. sensitive, it can feel like a personal attack on you because you're the one who's front and center out. In the
3: front line. You know? Yeah, it's not, I mean, I'm over, I'm back. I don't even, I'm not even know what he's going through out there. I'm just back there playing, you know, Warren's doing his thing. He's got the uh, a different kind of job. And and um, so everybody is just, it uh, tries to be understanding of it, you know, because there's not that much at stake. Um, but every year it gets to be like a little <laughs> like this more, you know, my bigger shows, uh, more money. Um, I love uh,
0: it. But it, well, it's, how much so do you think doing- now with with Josh being in the Foo Fighters, like that must already? Are you seeing an influx of streaming numbers and like social media follows, like because that data now readily ha- totally available? Do you think people are joining um, the and going, who is this guy? What's his backstory? where's he come from? um
3: I would say it's been pretty flat in there. Like I haven't noticed a, 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 a but but when we. Um, it, his instagram goes up and then um i think we get a lot more activity a lot more comments on things because um you know people are are a little and then people think he's not in the band anymore and then we just played two shows with them a couple weeks ago and then that gets a bunch of people talking like oh oh he's still in the vandals you know it's like this guy's always been in some other band i mean we shared him with with, with sting for years
0: uh, guns and roses devo like, yeah the Guns and Roses. Is-
3: Guns N' Roses was the best because they never played, but he would just, he had to show up from 10 PM to 4 AM and work on the Chinese democracy album. And, um, and, but he could always get time off to do vandal shows. Cause it was just like on a weekend or something. And, and, uh, so he, we always could count on him during the guns N' roses time. Um, then sting and, um, uh, uh, sublime with Rome. He did that. And that was, you know, he'd be gone. And, and, uh, now, uh he's gone but he, to me the foo fighters is kind of like his forever home he belongs there and uh you know we'll only be able to share him with the foo fighters i think for uh, pretty much the rest of his uh, career yeah
0: so, i yeah. mean what That's a great good. gig for him so well deserved and i saw him play on halloween night last year at the hollywood bowl with danny elfman um after straight oh, yeah. Off, coming straight off the kiss cruise funnily enough i'd just done the kiss cruise same sick man company same boat everything yeah. and um, got but it was Miami. Uh, no it was los angeles to mexico that way and back and yeah i went to see oh. him play it was the first time i'd ever seen him play live and just hearing that thunderous sound that he created within that group in that setting on that night it was so special and i, I saw it you know obviously i knew the guy was good how can you not? But seeing him in that setting that night, I was like, yeah, this guy's really good. <laughs> yeah.
3: He's, um, and, and he's better now than he was then because he's, he's kind of cranked it up a notch for the Foo Fighters. I think he's, he just wants everybody to know that he's the guy. So he's put more effort into it than I've seen him put into anything. And he's working his ass off. And uh, every night, you know.
0: And you get to be in the rhythm section with that dude. How amazing.
3: It, it, yeah yeah. Oh, he gets it, to be it,
0: in a rhythm section with you
3: <laughs> yeah he, he's, he's very grateful no it's i mean the, we play with the best thing about that is um only really good drummers want to uh, play with us and they do want to play with us because people like want to fill those shoes and they they want to play those those songs and so we get uh like Derek grant from the alkaline trio Bro- brooks wackerman from Avenged sevenfold and bad religion and then um and uh, steve-o from Sum 41 uh, Australia's uh, newest uh, uh, rock star resident,
2: so, um,
3: I think he's going to be with us in Japan.
0: Love it. I you know, saw Brooks that, with you in the UK at Slam Dunk. Uh, so that was okay, cool. yeah, yeah,
3: yeah.
2: And I saw yeah. Steve yeah, so we got, our, we, got uh, we have
3: uh, an embarrassment of riches in the drum section. We have had drummers that have uh fallen short, and um, but that hasn't happened in a long time. We just we we got our core guys, and if we if we, we kind of now just don't accept it. A show if we can't get
1: these guys. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!"
2: You have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com/slash host.
0: Now, tell me about Warren, because that guy, he's been on the show. Um, He on the boat with the hot tub moment was that was the crowning moment of the cruise for me. That was really something else. He is like a savant genius. Artist, creative force, what a unique and brilliant man! Um, must be a trip being in a band with someone like that. Where do you two first meet and, and connect?
3: Um, well, I first saw him when uh, there was a place called Meadowlark uh, Country Club that was having punk shows. They were like in the um, in the eighties. Uh, they were um, just one of the venues that was around Huntington Beach that shows were happening. And it was a kind of a dark time for punk rock. 21 and over shows, which is never good. And um he was there playing with a band called um it was either it was doggy style or double freak. I think this might have been double freak because he was in these simultaneous bands. And um the first guy I ever saw play with a wireless guitar. And um, I walk in the club and that band is playing and this guy is playing, but he's he's on top of a cocktail table. And there's like a couple that looks like they're on a date and they have to endure Warren standing on their little round. Yeah, little round cocktail table. He's up there doing his thing, wearing a dinosaur outfit. (laughs) So I mean, and this is back in the time when you couldn't just go buy a dinosaur outfit on Amazon back then. Is one is mom-made. And so um, this is what I'm seeing. And immediately I go, we need that guy in our band. And uh, eventually we got
2: him. Nicer.
3: And we had him as a, as a uh, we had two guitarists for a while. And our other guitar guitarist, Jan, who founded the band, um, they overlapped for a while. And then he went off and uh, has a career in a government agency that I'm not supposed to mention. Um, but, uh, uh, and then Warren, you know, was just right there. And, when and, he, they, he brilliant. and he's the funniest guy I've ever, I've ever, I've ever met. Like you you, if you ride in a van with him, just from the, like the hotel to the airport, it's going to be like, you want to write down these things he's saying. And I do write him down. I just write him down on my phone. I'm like, oh, the guy is, is, is a genius. And he keeps saying the funniest things I've ever heard in my life. So that's, you know, you can't beat that.
2: Does he crash? Like, cause he, ex- you know, expresses himself. Oh yeah.
0: He expresses himself wholeheartedly. Yeah. So much of the time, but there must come those yeah. moments when it's like a sugar low, like, Ooh.
3: yeah. And you gotta, we gotta be careful. Like, sometimes it'll be a triumph of a show, you know. Sometimes he's going all out and he's not, he's, none of it's planned. So, some of them fall flat, some of them are like, all right, this one didn't work. But when they work, you know, it's like a high, and then people are going crazy. And I might say to them, hey, let's go out and uh, go to the merch table and, and talk to people. And you gotta be careful. And you think like, oh, this guy's on fire. Yeah, how could he not want to talk to the people after that? But he, if he has a crash, you're not going anywhere. Just in nothing, nowhere. He's going down. And uh, so, yeah, very, very, very uh, good question. He crashes.
2: And he obviously,
0: in the producing seat as well, has done so much with the Vandals and outside. Did you two start kung fu together, um, or was yeah. it more, more your thing, and you just bring him in to produce all the albums? How did how did that? We, start,
3: begin? we started as a... Uh, I I didn't really know how this would work, so we thought like I thought, well, he'll produce the records, I'll do the business, and then like um, partnership. Yeah, but then what I realized is like you can't have the same producer produce all the. You can't sign bands to your label and say, and by the way, here's your producer. So that worked for like, you know, sort of jelly beans and then the Ataris. And the Vandals, but then we started signing other bands and they want their own producer. So there wasn't really anything for him to do. He's not an office guy. Um, so I just did most of it and then he has a percentage of it, and um and he didn't have to do anything.
0: Legendary deal for Warren then.
3: (laughs) Good enough. And then we sold it in twenty seventeen. We sold it to
0: Cleopatra Records. Right. I didn't know that. You just Yeah. I guess record buying is not what it once was. Was that the the main incentive there was just,
2: yeah
3: it, it just got like I think I was talking to a lawyer the time the day I decided I was talking to someone in a band that was on our warp tour uh, compilation that we did, the warp Tour DVD that we released. I was talking to one band member and a law, their lawyer back and forth about some concern. And I decided at that moment, I need to get out of the music business. I got to sell this label because these people are just people you don't want to deal with. you know they're just awful so i um went so I decided at that moment I'm gonna go back to television where I never met people like this mm. and um and then it took a while because then Napster and all that and c d burning I had to build the label up mainly by um uh, increasing. Uh, income from vinyl so when vinyl saved us could put out a lot of vinyl a lot of different um, uh, incarnations of things and then the label was valuable enough to sell and then we did and it's still on uh, Cleopatra it's still part of their you know label group and they still sign bands to um, the Cleo to uh, Kung Fu Records so it's still a it's a, still a going concern and, a, and, a, and an exciting punk label if, if your band uh, needs one.
0: And what about you guys? Would you just automatically go to that label to release what you would do
2: now? uh, Yes.
3: Yeah. Yeah. um, And all we've released is a couple uh, songs for compilation, you know, cover songs for compilations. And and then we have a lot of, we have some things that we want to release. Nothing, not like a new album or anything, but just stuff. And that'll go on Kung Fu still.
0: Right on. I'm noticing for the first time in our conversation that you're wearing a cocaine bear t-shirt. That is amazing. Yep. <laughs> number Mark, one movie of 2023. So Mark I, from so Demo did the, the, the music, didn't they?
3: Yeah. 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 Mark. Yeah.
0: Were you, in, were you involved in the film or did you just love it? I just love it.
3: It's my favorite movie of the year. Just, It was very moving from the, from the very beginning when they killed the Germans. <laughs> uh, it was. Uh, it was beautiful. I don't think all Germans should be killed by bears, but um, those ones—they <laughs> just—they got me. Like these people are going to get clawed to death, and I'm not going. <laughs> I'm to laugh my ass off.
0: <laughs> and it is based um, loosely on a real story, right?
3: Yeah, loose enough or good enough.
0: <laughs> so, when do you begin to work in TV and film, and, and how does that segue? Take place. Are you just around filmmakers and and producers and people of that line of work being in Hollywood the whole time?
3: Well, um, you no. Know, uh, I'll tell you what. If you live in Southern California, it's like it's it's you're less likely to work in the TV or film industry than people who come from out of town because they come from out of town with dreams and they give up everything, right? And they're driven and they're a little more ruthless and cutthroat and they're going to claw their way in, into the into the industry. And you're like, well, why is everyone acting this way? It's just a job, you know, and then you might go off and do something else because you live here anyway. You know, you didn't move somewhere to, you know, you know, the stakes are lower. Um, but uh, I do like I did always want to work in television. So I but I went to law school and then I worked at CBS television directly after law school where I was a talent uh, buyer and a program negotiator um, that they like to have lawyers do that. So. Um, I did that, and then um, then when the Green Day and Offspring stuff started blowing up, I I left, and then um, but I always stayed connected with it. We made a lot of videos and movies and TV shows and stuff while uh, at Kung Fu Records. But then uh, um, then finally, I got I made my way back to full time television uh, writing now because you have to if you're a lawyer, you have to leave TV to come back as a creative. You can't switch and say I'm a lawyer. But I decided I'm going to start writing. No one wants to talk to you. That's not cool. Um, they don't want to talk to lawyers. They don't think they're creative. So you just they're not going to read anything that you wrote. But uh, by leaving for so long and then coming back, I was like, Hey, look, I'm the guy in the Vandals. No, like, what do you got? And then people would read it, and I got I got work. And um, and so I've you know I worked for uh, some true crime for Discovery ID, and then Ancient Aliens uh, for four years. Um, technically I'm still uh, working for them Um, depending on how many scripts they send me and when, when that happens. But, um, and then uh, shows like Curse of Oak Island and then um, some indie movies. And then I sold two shows to a network called Fox nation. Uh, There's ones called ancient, not not ancient aliens, but alien abductions. Um, And then the other one is, um, Uh, monsters across america and these are like half hour uh, paranormal shows um that i created and showrunner everything director writer and um uh that's been fun um but then this recently i got dragged back into the music business when um i was able to put the um the Bradley Knowles son together with Bud and Eric, the original guys. And it's not a a novel idea. Uh, Other people thought of it, but I happened to, I happened to be uh, like, have the right formula that where everybody would, would be comfortable uh, doing this and just like, let's give it a shot, see how it sounds. And then I partnered with another guy named Kevin Zinger and we just took over the management of the, the, the live touring, which is about to launch, we're going to announce a big festival in January, and then the merchandising, the um, the you know the record royalties, the publishing, the uh, marijuana business, beer business. Uh, it's a, it's almost a full time job. So that's what I'm doing now. So i not. I'm doing. Uh, uh, I have to balance that with the TV stuff, and then you know, Vandals stuff. And then I'm in a Morrissey Smith tribute band, which I, I don't have to spend too much time on. I just have to go to rehearsals and, and, and uh,
2: shows because I'm not in charge and have anything in there. Cause... How old are you today, Joe, as we talk? 60. How
0: incredible to be 60 years of age and to be in the most fruitful, productive, creative, exciting successful time of your life um considering everything you've already done all those things you just mentioned there and you were you were obviously in the throes of these sublime conversations in belize when we were hanging out you're on and get so i'm glad we can talk about that in this moment now but the potential especially with that brand is so huge because even today everywhere in california everywhere around the world but especially in california however many years after Bradley sadly passed away, you go into any restaurant, bar, you go into a taxi, that music is just still in the heaviest of rotation. It is culturally ubiquitous with that part of the world and that culture. And obviously, you know, Sublime with Rome has done good things. I toured with them actually in the UK, and and Rome did a great job of of bringing it
2: forward. But
0: to bring it full circle with Bradley's son, and as you say, with branding, kind of merchandise opportunities, as well as the live stuff and the publishing, all of that. I mean, it's it's a pretty exciting thing to be sat on. Um, and I feel like people, because it is Bradley's son, will really embrace it. And you know, yes,
2: really I think
0: people are
3: very very happy. We did one show, um, like a benefit, where they played like eight songs, a benefit for HR from Bad Brains, at a small uh, club in LA, and um, just kind of see if they like playing with each other turns out they like it and so we're going we're going you know going to festivals you see go (laughs) to the next step and uh i've known you know i knew bradley uh i knew his dad uh, i still know his dad um i knew all these people but um you know they always had all these other people to work with them and and do stuff and then it just kind of came my way when it came my way through eric um i i just kind of everything just worked it was like it was destiny so easy you want to do this yeah you want to do this yeah how about this yeah this giant festival do you want them yes uh you know the 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 everything is um very easy with these guys I, and they have placed their trust in me and kevin and um like very, I'm very grateful because it is a big it is a big deal, and they completely put their trust in us. And uh things like they're like, remember Josh telling me like, he he, he like did a like a something kind FaceTime or something or a picture from Target. Look at this, you know, look at the wall. It's the Beatles, it's the Rolling Stones, it's Nirvana and Sublime. That's it, and that's like what they're featuring. And uh, yeah, we were just like mind blowing. Then, and then that, then that that was before I became kind of in charge of this stuff, and I look at the numbers, and I look at what's going on here, and it's like, it's, it's, I just got the biggest order from H&M uh, department stores of any t-shirt thing I've ever heard of. I've never, I mean, I'm in the Vandals, you know, just, you know, it's such a baby thing now that I see the, the real world out there.
2: And, What's and the phrase?
0: Sublime, fuck you, money. There's that phrase. One the, yeah, one of
3: the yes, definitely. One of the the manufacturer said, um "We were told that it was like between the Rolling Stones and Sublime in the U.S. is like number one and number two for merchandise sales." And then we we we, we you know we were kind of like, should we say that to people? I don't know. It seems like it's probably fake. And then we went to the company and we, and they showed us the numbers and he said, "There's three bands and um, yeah, it's the Stones and." Um, The uh, uh, and sublime and one other band they didn't tell us that band, but I assume it's the Vandals, so
2: (laughs) but yeah, I mean, this is like everywhere you go, so it's uh, it's a different world for me,
3: um, but it's kind of um, the you know, it's kind of like I could do it in my sleep, but you but you got to wake up all there's so much work, uh, you you really it's weird, you got to do it, someone's got to do this stuff, who's. Who's going to get the hotels for the uh? Or not the hotels, the uh, that rent the homes for the big festival. Like, I got to rent four homes. Oh my god! So, you know, just stuff like that. I'm like, got to rent four homes. Wait a second, the Vandals played this festival, and we got one hotel room for the singer. <laughs> like, I gotta got to go 4 room uh, four uh, uh, homes. Um, I, who's going to do that? Oh yeah, I got to do that.
2: Yeah. Well, let's be
0: real as well. Um, You know. They're a real deal band with real deal, not rock star, but, you know, they're wild. You know, I don't know what Bradley's son's like, but, you know, sublime are notorious for being the yeah. real deal. And so you have yeah, Bradley's
2: son. Is, um,
3: Bradley's son is sober. Thank God. And um, the other two guys are, um, you know, there's two there's two different personalities. There's Bud, who is um, his head is in the game. He, he plays drums like he's never uh, quit. Um, And Eric is just—that's the wild card. He's wild and um,
2: keeps things interesting for you. (laughs) Yeah, it's it's part of my job just to (laughs) like, wait, what do you want to do now? Okay, I'll make that happen. Like, woo!
0: (laughs) You you mentioned this earlier, and I want to circle back to it because I think it's important. Uh, You talked about playing the shows for the troops um, around the Iraq War, and I guess you did it. After then, as well, and have done it since then, um I think with, with something like that, now, I think if a band did that, it would be fine. We obviously live in a very different world now where um there is less black and white kind of like you're a traitor to punk um rejection of, of you know like what is essentially, i think, an honorable decision. Uh, I think that people who put their lives on the line to fight for their country aren't doing it for political reasons. Often they're people who are from broken families, working class backgrounds, it's their best opportunity of a life and a way out of the the shit show that they have to contend with at home. Like my dad joined the army when he was 16 because he would rather go and get shot at in Belfast than remain home in his situation. So, you know, it's it's not easy for these people and that is the understatement of, of the century. So for a band like you guys to go out there who's so apolitical, and and just entertain and give them some relief and joy and something to distract them from the horrors of their day-to-day lives is a beautiful thing and it's a shame that that got misconstrued and and used ultimately against you guys but god bless you for doing it and god bless you for continuing to do it despite the blowback from within the punk you know police community yeah the
3: uh, it was the squats the squats uh, circuit in um in uh, Europe that went after us and uh, which was a shame cuz we played all the squats and we did we did that whole thing and um and uh and then they turned against us really fast but when they did and when it was all over our uh nobody regretted it no there there wasn't one moment where we said wow uh, what a mistake uh i wish someone would have told us it was like screw those people they will they will one day uh be ashamed for you know choosing this reason to destroy our career and our label over there we had to bankrupt kung fu records in europe and kung fu records used to bring three uh at least three punk bands over to europe every year so we were bringing uh you know audio karate and assorted uh, jelly beans and um the ataris tsunami bomb um uh apocalypse hoboken just like you know bands that probably few people have heard of we're bringing them to europe we're 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 and then after that, nothing. So okay, good, great. We're not doing that anymore. Um, and then uh, Dave was like, eh, shit! I didn't like going to Europe anyway." So um, <laughs> he, he didn't care. And then, and then right after that, after it all happened, we signed up and went to Afghanistan. And then we went to Frankfurt, um, played with the troops for the troops there, and just you know, never regretted it.
2: And now you've got Ed Sellers booking you. He's a good friend of mine. I love Ed. So yeah, it sounds
3: great. And he um yeah, he just uh he just asked us if we'd like to go to uh England and um and uh Dave said so no, we, I'm all right. <laughs> well that's what I said. I go, why don't you uh describe it and I'll and I'll hand it to Dave and see if he's he's feeling it.
0: Well, fingers crossed, fingers crossed, fingers crossed for Sublime over here soon as well. Um the final big talking point I'd like to end on, Joe. Um, I love that you're a man of faith. There's few of you within the punk community. I love that you're also a business head and still a punk rocker. Um, it's I think rare that you can marry those two things authentically and successfully. Um, I heard little Richard once talk about the deal that you make with yourself when you're in rock and roll and you believe in God, but you're doing in some cases the devil's work. Um, yeah do you have to marry those two in an active? Conscious way does it become a natural partnership for you? Like the, the the three different lanes of spirituality and faith and and business, and then the punk rock community, which obviously you still hold dear uh, and has you know raised you and, and and given you this whole amazing life. How do you juggle all of those three things in a way that makes sense and is rewarding and enriching
2: and inspiring? Um. Well, it's always a a, a struggle. And, um, I would
3: say that, uh, you know, when the, everybody, most Catholics go through a period right after your confirmation until maybe you're going to get married and that's the time you're not going to mass and you're like just doing your own thing. And that's when I got in the Vandals and then it just kept going. And I probably, um, uh, if I got in earlier or later, I would have been in a, not a Christian band, but I probably wouldn't have been in a, uh, 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 i probably wouldn't have been in punk rock really um so i uh, and then one day i wake up and i'm like oh i'm catholic and i'm punk um how does this work um i just uh try to do the best i can but you know some of our music is is very uh unholy and i try to um uh keep it from going too far in that direction. And. Um, uh, but it is something it's something i'll even talk to my priest about i go this is what i'm doing and you know like if i quit someone else is just going to jump right in and do this and you know but some kids look up to me maybe i'm changing some kid's opinion of uh of catholicism maybe um and then you know what are you going to do so uh it's not like little Richard.
2: well, he was I a long time,
3: wasn't he? He just left. You know, he just one day he just said, I'm in the wrong business. And he left. But that didn't, like, and then it didn't last. You know? So it's like he couldn't be the, 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 the Bible thumper his whole career. Too hard. And uh, maybe, you know, and then in the end, though, he did inspire a lot of people. Um, and uh, he probably brought a lot of people to the faith by you know just showing up and um and uh doing his thing um and i don't uh you know i'm not out like him i'm also not like him out saying hey come to jesus at, at this rock concert it's just uh something that i do and then sometimes i'll go like oh this is great i'm in the vandals and i go hey this is like
2: what what am i doing
3: this is like this isn't how does this glorify the baby Jesus? How does it, would you tell me?
0: How? Well, my <laughs> my take, Joe, would be as someone who's recently kind of had a bit of a spiritual awakening and is exploring, you know, these themes in a lot more depth. Um, for me, it's all about love and compassion and, and joy and understanding and forgiveness and all of these things that bring us together. And that is exactly what music does. Uh, You know, whether it's slightly offensive or sarcastic or comedic or not, the ultimate aim is to bring people together and and to help people heal and express, you know, love and celebration of life and all of these things. And the vandals absolutely do that in buckets and spades. Thank you very much. And you will know um,
3: from, you know, from uh, your English, right?
2: English? English drinking songs, Irish drinking songs are filthy. So I just imagine how many, you know,
3: uh, fine (laughs) Catholics, priests, Anglicans uh, are singing these Irish drinking songs all the time. And there's a time and a place for them. And that's kind of the way I feel about the Vandals music. There's a time and a place and it's not for kids. And um, they get in it. They find it and they discover it. Uh, then they're just like me when I was, you know, discovering Doors records and Frank Zappa and David Bowie when I was little. Um, but uh, yeah, it's definitely a time and a place, and uh, not much different from the English drinking songs. Is is the way I uh, kind of rationalize it uh, to myself. I don't write songs with curse words in them, like with a rare exception here or there, for a fact. Not always um, been.
2: Pardon? Has that always been the case?
3: Yes. Like, um, uh, but like a song like Anarchy Burger, say the F word in front of your mom. There's no, there's no other, um, there's no substitute for that. I mean, if you're, if we're talking about what that, that message of that song is, um, there's only one word that you're, that you're going to say in front of your mom where you are a true, uh, you know, quote-unquote anarchist of the uh, early punk rock scene. So things like that, you know. But in general, i um always fighting for less uh, uh, filth. And it's just try to dig a little deeper and try a little harder to come up with something funny that doesn't resort to uh, the pee-pee-poo-poo um, uh, filth. And, and I think it takes a lot of um, effort, and it's, it's worth the effort. And... So that's like something that I always tried to do. And, uh, and so, you know, that's kind of the reason why I, I like the TV business. There's this like rule of all these things you can't say and can't do. I like working in that framework.
0: Well, TV it forces you college. to get creative, doesn't it? When you are limited, you have to think
2: outside of the box. I had a, I had a show I was writing for where they told me, look, you know who watches our show? Uh, 52-year-old African-American women. And I go,
3: okay, all right, thank you. I'm going to go back and I'm going to write something for 52-year-old African-American woman. And I did, and I had a blast doing it. You know, it's like, give me the rules and uh, and, uh, make me work harder.
2: Love it.
0: And on a closing note, business and success uh, and punk rock, those two, I believe, should be, uh, bed partners. I think that, you know, there's nothing in the punk rock rulebook for me that says that you have to be playing squats with as small an audience as possible to keep it real. Um, I think the whole goal of punk is to be yourself, to be authentic, to to represent integrity and, and betterment for the world. Um, and to do that, you want to reach more people. Right. So do you feel in your life like you have managed to retain a connection to the punk scene that you grew up in? Um, and also danced with, you know, the entertainment business in the ways that you have it. And do you feel like you've married those two worlds successfully in your heart? Um, and are you happy with the way it's all gone?
3: Well, um, I am happy with the way it's all gone. And then uh, I do, although I don't begrudge people that uh, like Green Day, uh, that are making millions of punk rock. I don't care. I love it. In fact, there's a uh, there was a, a dust-up
2: and a couple of days ago from, from uh, Green Day and the Vandals. Um, oh, yeah. Green Day um, played uh,
3: New Year's Eve, and they were saying some changing their political words to some other political words, and it was like a big deal in the news, and everyone saying, "Oh, the Green Day is saying these political things," and then one uh, guy on uh, on the Fox News channel said uh green day is just a poor man's vandals and um let me tell you something about their you know let me tell you something about green day they're just a poor man's vandals blah 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 and he went on then that became an article in some thing or whatever and we're just like you know we love green day our keyboard player at our christmas shows is jason freeze the keyboard player of green day you know so in in essence we have part of green day in our in our band anyway but it was really funny and then like other promoters everyone kept sending me the articles like what's green day uh uh versus the vandals i don't uh yeah it's like you guys do uh they had they wrote great songs they wrote money-making songs if you can write money-making songs then go and collect the money um i do have a lot of respect for bands that that um you know probably more respect um in a way that that are uh did deny in- denial of any of that, and they're like uh i'm not I won't do anything that takes me out of this punk thing and um and in a way, our singers like represents that in our band, he's like, What is this, this is a punk band and um then he he keeps you humble and goes, yeah, yeah, you're right, this is a punk band, just keep it the way it is, and uh, don't try this or that, and don't but um but we have, we do pretty good anyway, you know, just from, just from hanging around and maybe not like, uh, we we did enough. We we paid our dues. We have enough songs. The amount of money we're making now is more than I ever dreamed we would make. And it's still not enough to, you know, make you think like, Oh, this is, you know, this is how I'm going to make a living. Um, but it's, wow. It's a well-paid, uh, hobby. And the Vandals is a, is a very, um, tight uh, men's club uh more than a band and uh we like each other and we keep it that way and uh we all get a kick out of each other and i think that is more valuable than money uh just to, of course it is and we've always put that a- ahead of everything like hey we're still friends look at all these other bands this is 40 years with these this with this band like what it was it was like 19 89 for 35 years, the same four guys. Um, as he uh, rubs his face, <laughs>
2: yeah.
3: Like, um, it's that's a- that's pretty valuable. 35 years, the same four guys. Still, we could get together tonight. We're all living about 15 minutes from each other. Um, we will all get together tomorrow night at my wife's uh, uh 50th birthday party, and uh, we'll all be there and hanging out with each other and uh palling around and that's worth i mean how much money is worth like having this like a feud with an old band member you know that kind of stuff and i've had those with the, you know past members and stuff and those are just it's hideous so uh that, you know worth and then i always think about what caused that was it money why why didn't you know why didn't i just you know, if they wanted more money or if it were a dispute over money, why didn't I just give them whatever they wanted and
2: open up my because that's what Dave Quackenbush would do. He'd open up as well and say, what do you want? You take it all. What are we talking about here? We're we're, we're friends. So, uh,
3: you know, a lot of a lot of even though we gripe about our singer, we learn lessons from him all the time.
2: Yeah. He's and a- as far as
3: singers go, Warren always reminds me we're pretty lucky in the lead singer uh, lottery. Uh, of life.
2: We 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 do we did pretty good. Well, God bless the Vandals,
0: Joe. And uh God bless you you, and and thank you for a lovely chat today. I've been really looking forward to this since meeting you properly on the boat. And um yeah it's been great. We'll have to do a part two in person if and when you come over to the UK. I'd love that. We could maybe even do it at a little club that I do live podcasts at and get a few people along and share some stories.
3: We'll get the rest of the guys in, or at least Warren and uh, and uh, and have a chat. Amazing. Great.
2: Well, I hope you well, have I a might good go as well.
3: I'm working on a um, Glenn Matlock uh, movie, so I might we might I might go over there uh, for that at some point um, in the next few months. So it might, it might be sooner than later.
0: Great. Well, please let me know if you do. I actually did one of these live podcasts that I'm referring to with Glenn at this club that I have in mind about a year ago. Um, great guy so yeah if you are heading over that way please let me know and we'll we'll meet up
3: it's possible okay well thank you
0: happy birthday to sandra again have a great night tomorrow all of you and uh till we next chat dude thanks so much take care and um yeah see you real soon tonight
2: i'm gonna have myself a real good time
1: I feel alive, high, high, high. The world, turn it inside out and float it Don't stop me now Don't stop me having a good time